blessing. Uh, any rate, I get a bigger board to write on here. It'll be natural for me to leave it up. Uh, I just want to say this before we get started, though. I really, uh, and I don't impress all that easily. Sorry, I touched my mouth. My wife said, get your hand out in front of your mouth. Nobody can understand what you're saying. Evidently, I've got some kind of accent or something. I don't know. Uh, that's what I thought through the whole COVID deal. I couldn't hear you already when I go into a store and somebody's trying to help us. or I can't hear you. <laughs> now you know what I'm hearing? I'm nothing. I'm just making stuff up and grinning. So I apologize for that. I am... I am so impressed, and I'm not just saying this to pat you all on the back, or, and I'm never blowing smoke. I'm not trying to fake anybody out or fool anybody or hide behind, I don't, I'm not hiding behind a cotton picking thing. I'm just being honest and vulnerable. But I am so impressed with the heart and the spirit and the thoughts of this body. And I haven't gotten to spend time with every single person in here. Lord willing, I will. I'm encouraging you to appreciate that because just on a I've been here two weeks and two days level, honesty and genuine Humility, perseverance, patience. Those are the kinds of things I see in people. Well, that's a tremendous blessing. So maybe you're familiar with, so familiar with everybody here, you don't appreciate that. We are driving yesterday morning to go to the men's breakfast and, and I asked Bill, I said, y'all just, where Bill went, where Bill went. Uh, there he is. Is this not beautiful, brother? I guess, it just, I've seen it. Okay, well, start over and appreciate it. Because I appreciate the beauty here. Uh, I'm convinced the Lord is that way all day, every day. Was that Reader's Digest? That might have been, I did it again. Or was that Lamentations 3? When God's people, the weeping Lamentations, I mean, check that word out. But the one we call the weeping prophet, Jeremiah, when when. Everything that God's people held dear has been destroyed and it sits in the midst of utter ruin and it's fixing to even get worse if that's possible. And he knows it full well and everything he can see with his eyes is absolutely discouraging and hopeless. And he said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Now, Jeremiah couldn't look at Jerusalem laying ruins and say that if he didn't know God. 
So the better we know God, the better perspective we have for the people around us, for the context in which we're struggling and fighting for life every day and faith itself and for what we have in one another. So to set our minds right, to get some context, turn with me over here to John chapter 1. And if you weren't here in Bible class, we read the first 18 verses in a little over a minute. Like you get a letter in the mail and you're going, who's this from? What do they want? Are they trying to sell me something? Do I owe them something? What are we? Okay. That's not the only way you read scripture, but you, got it. you should start there. Because all of that gives context to all the details that are in there. And what John does for us in the first 18 verses here is he gives us context for everything he's going to say. Well, I don't know why it's so important. Because it amounts to life. John's the most simple book in all New Testament. That's why I'm looking at it first. And I don't ever seek to make the word of God complicated. If you do, I suggest you repent. Because complicating what's simple doesn't elevate you, and God doesn't need it. God's God without you trying to complicate him. If, this, if the word of God here, this is the word of God or it's not, well, do your diligent effort and sort out for you what it is. But it's available. Consider it. Read it. Just listen to it. And here's the thing, most people walk around with it in their hands, using it to beat people over the head or beat themselves up or somebody else up, hadn't heard it yet. Hadn't heard it yet. I hadn't counted them lately, but I said this morning, it's over 50,000 words in one wide here. In one book, you got in excess in the English language of 50,000 words. That's a whole bunch, guys. You don't know, start, start with us in the Gospel of John. We're going to be teaching and preaching out of the Gospel of John. If you're ever how you read scripture, I'm just begging you over the next few months, read the Gospel of John. And every time you read it, read the first 18 verses. Because this is first grade Greek and it's first grade English and it's absolutely profound. So we're looking through these verses this morning and those are y'all's words, not mine. Give me words that pop. Give me words that stand out. And we came up with words like uh, word, light, life, the beginning, fullness, children, his. What else is on the list? Fullness, grace, truth, blessing. And then the one word in the middle. Darkness. It's just in there one time. It's a big word. It's so complicated. I don't know the etymological darkness. You get it. It's a first grade word. That's a profound statement. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not overcome it. Some, some connection to power or authority or something. Darkness is not overcoming. 
The darkness comprehended it not. The darkness overpowered it not. The darkness couldn't comprehend it. It couldn't overpower it, nor could it lay claim to it. However you want to translate that word right there, all of those are good translations and they're all true. All those words he gives us there, those words have meaning and those words are meant to accomplish God's purpose. Just a Sunday or two ago, remember what we read 8th century BC from Isaiah the prophet? And God told ancient Israel, he said, here's the problem. Your thoughts are your thoughts and your ways are your ways. Now, that's not what he said, but that was what he meant, wasn't it? Your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So, God's trying to change the thoughts and the ways of his people. And we understand God wants to offer us a better way, a way that's not darkness, a way that is light. He's also trying to offer us life, not death. He's also trying to offer us blessing, not cursing or judgment. What is he seeking to accomplish? What is it God wants? What does he want with you? Paul told Timothy real clearly, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior, comma, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. And he wants that far more than you do. He doesn't want darkness to reign because darkness... Even when you're talking about cosmic darkness, darkness doesn't produce life. Never has, never will. Doesn't. What does it promote? Confusion, fear. Somebody probably knows the complicated word for that. But sometimes little kids or even grown-ups are afraid of the So now people make millions of dollars selling night. Nobody sells night darkness. Here's your nice night darkness. You don't need night darkness. You have night lights. Why? Well, we're trying to make it less confusing. Trying to keep you from tripping over something killing yourself. Trying to give you life. Trying to give you blessing. Trying to give you things that promote Life. This is what God wants. Well, his word, he told Isaiah, he said, my word is just like the rain and the snow, which I invented, by the way. It's like the rain and snow that comes down from heaven. It does not return to it. There is a cycle here. It does not return to it without watering the earth so that it makes it bud and flourish. The little seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And if we want what God's offering, if we're interested in light 
and not darkness, if we're interested in life and not death, if we're interested in something that is that is involving us but is bigger than us, is not based on us, is a rescue for me from me, I just got to listen to what he says. And when we looked a week or two ago at Genesis chapter 1, that's what was going on in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth, here was the deal, was void and empty. It was, it was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God didn't leave that there. Why? Because God's a God who gives life. And darkness and chaos and confusion is not life. That can happen to any one of us at any given time. We barely get around where we can see what we're doing. Take out the light. That's going nowhere. That's really hard. He's trying to inject some light into our thinking. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word was God, plainly. This is what he presents. And this, this word that becomes flesh, this word that brought the, in him was life. And that life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness couldn't overcome it. He's telling us about the one who changes everything. God didn't write a book to establish religion. And you can pick that apart, but I'm just using sidewalk terms. If you don't think people in the name of organized religion killed Jesus, you're wrong. They did. They took everything God said from Genesis to Malachi and all the case law that was written for it and all the explanation that was given of it and came to the conclusion what they need to do is crucify son of God. And that's how mixed up you can get when you take what God said and you take it out of context and you make it about you. They didn't kill Jesus out of insight. They didn't, they didn't crucify him out of depth of understanding. They crucified him out of fear. They did away with him out of fear. Too many people in the name of religion or not are doing away with Jesus right now still today. And I'm begging us as people who are in search of him, people who are seeking him, people who are following him, don't let the devil talk you out of him. Don't do it. The devil has a substitute for him. Guess who it is? You got to watch him, Bill. Because the devil's substitute for Jesus is you. 
You fix it. You solve it. You accomplish it. You get after it. You remember it. You do it. And our children, when they're, when they're wee bitty, and they grab something that's over their head out of our hands and say, no, me do it. Really? Yeah, darling, you fixing to do it. Let me have that. You're going to do it to death if you don't watch. Could be. Depends on what it is they've got. They don't understand what they're doing. So, you know what? I'm not even going to the next thing. John's going to say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, on purpose, exactly what God has for him to say. And he's going to say that this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Flesh, that was one of our words. That's a key word. Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh. He is the only begotten of the Father. The one and only who is in the bosom of the Father, who had intimate fellowship, who is the Father, and the Father became flesh and blood in the Son. That's the presentation of John right here. And don't mistake something else or anybody else for the solution because anybody else is not the solution. God's been talking from Genesis to Malachi for 1,500 years at this point. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, and that's what we're in search of more bunch of, grace and truth in its fullness. The law of Moses was true. God didn't lie, but it didn't accomplish what God wanted. The law never pointed to itself. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 when he gave them the law, you've got to be looking for the one who comes after me. There is one coming who's a fulfillment of this. And that one is Jesus Christ. And don't get Jesus Christ messed up with John the Baptist. Both of them spoke for God. They're both equally true in what they said. They're not equal. John said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He had a message. Luke said, Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets prophesied. That's not a foretelling of the future. Every time you see the word prophecy in scripture, don't just think foretelling of the future. It's primarily teaching. The law and the prophets were the full authority of God to teach until John. And since that time, the message of the kingdom was being preached. That's what Luke said clearly. So John is this, is this Elijah who was to come. He is the one in the spirit of Elijah was the Old Testament prophet. And he just had one sermon. Guess what it was? Repent. John came and he got one sermon. Guess what it is? Repent, but don't repent for the sake of repentance. Repent because the king's getting close. The kingdom is at hand. It's right here. About to announce the king. 
So I'm not equivalating what John said or John commanded or John spoke for God. He himself is not the light. He came only as a witness to the light so that through him all men might believe. That's what John the Baptist said about himself. That's what he said about himself. Here, let's go on to verse 19. Now this was John, not John the Apostle, John son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. John, we call him the Baptist. Now, this was John's testimony. See, we got testimony when we're trying to prove something. And so we need witness. We need testimony. This was John's testimony when the Jews, that'd be the leaders of the Jews of Jerusalem, sent priests and Levites to him to ask him who he was. He's got a message that hasn't been being preached. And who are you? He did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the King. I am not the anointed one. I'm not God's solution. All that's not in there. That's just in there. If you dig around on the word Christ, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? So one of the last things God said at the end of Malachi chapter 4, I'm going to send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? Deuteronomy 18 we talked about. No, he said. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He said, this was his, the promise through Isaiah. I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. It sounds like God's trying to inject a little bit of light into their thinking. He is. What needs to be done, Lord? Things need to be fixed. Who's going to do it, Lord? I'm sending somebody to point you the way. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Well, why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John said, this is H2O, folks. He said, I'm baptizing you with water. This is water. But among you stands one whom you do not know, and he is the one who comes after me, who's, who's the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And all this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. John, as other New Testament writers, just keeps throwing in little historical details there. Either John the Baptist was on the other side of the Jordan at Bethany baptizing, or he wasn't, and he was too. And if he wasn't, he just gave a detail here for people that didn't want this to be true to prove him wrong. He sets it out that way on purpose. So John, God said what he said from Genesis to Malachi to his people to prepare for the coming Messiah. He keeps promising the Messiah. And then he brings John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has a testimony to give. And we'll discover that as we go forward. But here's what John's, John the Baptist is going to say in, in essence. Here's what John the Apostle is going to point out to us that John the Baptist says about Jesus. You know who he is? He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. 
This is the one. The fullness of God's grace comes down to the one who is the sacrifice of God. I'm starting to think God did everything to be done. Yes, he did. I'm starting to think that my way out of darkness is my understanding the identity and the person of Jesus. And it is. So I'm offering to us, brothers and sisters, as we're digging through this gospel, as we're looking, keep reading the 18 verses. Just let, just let John by the Spirit attribute to Jesus what he attributes to Jesus, and you see if that makes sense. Because the only way, the only way this makes sense is if it's the truth. And if it's the truth that light and light came through a person, and if it's true that light and life are available to a person, then we best do everything we can to fasten ourselves to that person. To have our lives directed by who he is. In essence, brothers and sisters, God has an invitation for you. God's doing this all day, every day. Just like you would one of your children. When they're playing around with something that might kill them or hurt them. And they're never going to figure it out. And God's doing this. Come here. Come to me. How are you a sinner like the rest of us? going to come to a God who is holy, who is eternal. God made the way. He paid the price. He paid the price so that the word his, that I think maybe Al pointed out to us, his, that love pronoun, well, it's bigger than a little bit. That means we have an opportunity to belong to him. And when I belong to him, his blessings have significance and power and direction in my life. When I belong to him, what's his is mine. When I belong to him, all the stuff I suffer and deal with suddenly has purpose and significant significance and can help other people. That's available, brothers and sisters, to every one of us all day, every day. All day, every day. We just continually make the same choice. We come to him, we trust him, we search for him, we seek for him, we listen to him, we live for him. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. I pray, Father, that you be with us, that you help us, Father, listen to the light of your word, that you use that word, Father, to direct our thoughts so that it can direct our steps 
so that it can fortify and encourage our souls. So that, Father, we become living reflections of who you are, of who Jesus is as a man. So that we bring light and life and blessing, not confusion and chaos and selfishness. The world brings that in truckloads. And even if it's just a teacup full, Father, we want to bring light and life and blessing and identity and purpose and grace into a world that doesn't understand and into the lives, Father, of people that we love and we have access to. Bless the truth of your word, Father. Bless the fullness of your grace that's available to us in Jesus. Bless him who is the light of life and bless him who is the light of the world, Father. Bless our knowledge of him that it might transform us, that it might bring us to him for salvation, that it might transform us, Father, so that we reflect him in a practical way to people who don't yet understand. Help us to hold on to the truth of your word. Help us to study it and listen to it, Father, like it offered eternal life, because in fact it does. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your people here. I pray, Father, that you bless our time together, our time in your word, our time in your presence, and the worship we have humbly offered to you. Bless any and all of that, Father, in every single way that will bring you glory. It's through Jesus who bled and died for us, who intercedes in the reality of heaven itself right now on our behalf, that we pray these things. Amen. Lord God cannot love you more than he does. Your life might or might not make sense to you at this point. The better hope you get a hold of Jesus, the better hope you have of him, the more things in life make sense. The invitation of the Lord is open to you. Want to benefit from his love? He paid the whole price so you could have it. It cost you nothing. If you have any interest in him in a public way, you need to let us know about now. You could do it while we stand and while we sing.